Hello there and welcome to episode 65 of the Hawthorns Debate Club. My name is Jamie Clay and I'm joined this week by a few gentlemen, well, only two today, to have a few conversations and discussions about West Bromwich Albion. So let me start by saying a warm hello to my good friend Alex Collins. Hello. And hello to my little brother, Joe Clay. Hello. Hello indeed. There's no fancy intro today. Just wanted to say a huge thank you from the bottom of our hearts, as always, for downloading and listening to the podcast this week. All we ask that you do for this wonderful West Brom podcast is that you spread the news about us, that you share it with your friends, family, anyone who will listen to you passing by on the street. Just share the podcast with all. and We really appreciate that. And if you can, if you've got time, leave us a little review or a five-star rating on the platform that you're listening to this. And that is a huge help to us because it'll help more people to find the podcast when they search for West Brom on Spotify or Apple or wherever you're listening to this right now. So we're on a little bit of a late one here on Wednesday evening and we've all a bit pushed for time so we're just going to dive on in we're going to cannonball into the swimming pool that is West Brom content no toe dipping today boys if you're okay with that I love a bit of cannonballing full sprint around the pool for this one there is a potential that you might be able to hear my children behind me who are not in bed yet which is a like a little bit of a bone of contention in our household presently but that's okay we're going to persevere we're going to kick off tonight by talking about Albion trip down to Kenilworth Road to play Luton. It was a scoreline that one of us predicted, I believe, 3-2. I think that was Joe. Correct, I think it was. Yep. There's the bell of success. It finished 3-2, but it started off with Albion facing an uphill climb, 2-0 down quickly inside about 10 or 12 minutes. I think Albion were 2-0 down, like a low shot from 30-odd yards that seemed to catch Alex Palmer off guard. While we're having this conversation, Alex's webcam is playing up quite a lot, and he's got one of these, as Joe described it before we started recording today, as like, you know, what's the name? Samara or whatever in the ring when she's like all glitchy and flashy and static. Alex is presently doing that to me and Joe. He's a Japanese horror movie. I've been possessed by a lie. <laughs> <laughs> and so they scored a goal. Caught Alex Palmer off guard. I think he would have wished he could do him better than that. But they were 2-0 up fairly early on. But then goals from Daryl DK, Jason Lumby and Connor Townsend pulled what a comeback that was just, it seemed at one point like impossible, but in the end was fairly comfortable, I think. Guys, it seems like Corbyn can do no wrong really at the moment. Um, and this has just added to his resume of wonderful successes at the club. What did you make of the game on Saturday? For me, this scoreline... 3-2 and conceding two quite early summed up our season so far in a way that I think I rang my dad I think you were there Jeremy and it was just a bit of pessimist you know that type of thing oh god we're 2-0 down we ain't going to come back from this I know people have said oh they had hope in us coming back but for me even though Corbran is a god I just thought this is the one where you know we're gonna have a bad result one time I thought this is the one Luton hard team but like the season we started off awful in this game we came back and we were dominant the whole game 
Luton don't look... Well, they didn't look dangerous at all, really. We just took our chances. I know we hit the bar, Daryl DK, in the first half, but I think you could see the team, the ethic, what Gorbran has distilled into the team, that just work ethic, the team camaraderie. Everyone just wants to, you know, doesn't want to lose in a way. Like I think I would have taken a 2-2. I think most people would have taken a 2-2. 3-2 was a huge bonus, but it just shows what Corbran has done to that team. You know, they weren't bad players, Steve. And it also shows how bad Steve Bruce was to a point. I think Corbran is doing a really good job, but he's doing a good job with really good players in the championship. You've got some mediocre players, but I just believe that that performance should really put the heebie-jeebies into the teams above us and the teams around us, to be honest. Because if we can come back away 2-0 against Luton to win 3-2, then we can beat anybody. If we can go and beat Burnley, I just think we're unstoppable at the moment. I think the only team who could probably equal us in that is Middlesbrough at the moment. They're doing this, this similar things. It's just, I love seeing it because it, it, it makes the story of this season a lot better doing things like that. You know, like, you know when we used to all buy the... DVDs and VHSs of the season review. I don't think it's so much any anymore. But this one, if we get promoted, this is going to be one of the best ones out there, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I started watching the game about two minutes in. I decided to go and make a cup of tea, and I, I thought we were doing okay. You know, I thought we were look, we looked like quite quick out the blocks. And I got back and saw that we were two goals down, and I had no idea how it had happened. So I was confused as anything. But I think it's as Joe said. I think it's uh, what uh, Corbyn has done. He's kind of he's woven into the team some kind of immortality, or you know, we can't be beaten anymore. And we're really like really competitive now, not taking anything but the best for everything you know I just think we're so I'm so grateful that we've got Corbyn as our manager and I think you know the, the players all deserve a pat on the back for how they've turned things around yeah I definitely think I can't even imagine I know confidence was high going into this match but Luton was always going to be a difficult test they're doing well themselves Rob Edwards their manager has kind of come into the club and kind of carried on what Nathan Jones has started and as we had Johnny Drury on last week, he said it's a difficult place to go. It's a strange ground. It's very close to the pitch. It's quite a generates quite an atmosphere there. And to go and be 2-0 down so early on, I think in a lot of situations, especially in the past, an Albion team goes on there and, and concedes a few more, and that's the kind of game wrapped up. But like you guys have said, this mentality shift, this desire, this never-say-die attitude that kind of exists in the team now, even though we were 2-0 down, I know some people kind of jump online and facetious and it's like, never in doubt, never in doubt. But there genuinely is an element of that that is true, that I don't think this team is ever really beaten. We will lose games between now and the end of the season, but I don't think it will be because of a mentality issue. We'll lose by the odd goal here and there. But I, I trust this set of players now to give their all. I think... It's well worth talking in a little bit more detail about some of the individual performances. I think you have to start with Jason Malumbi. He picked up man of the match. I couldn't think of a more deserving player. I've criticised him myself in the past. I, I think when he first turned up at the Albion, you could see he was an industrious player. He certainly wasn't going to lack for effort. But in terms of quality and technique, he was. you could see that wasn't his, like, his forte and then his fancy for a, a backwards pass or a sideways pass. So many points in the early part of this season and last season where he'd be such a bone of frustration and you'd be in a real promising situation and Jason Mullenby would pass the ball backwards. 
But since Corbin has come in, the development in his game, you can see that technically he can play a lot of the passes that we want him to, that we'd ideally like him to execute. He does. And combine that now with his industry and work rate and his, his desire to get forward. He covered every blade of grass on Saturday. Every second ball, it seemed like, was bouncing to him. If it, Unless he was challenging for the initial ball, it seemed like he was able to close every single player down in the middle of that field. Couple that with him playing against someone like Yukushlu, as you, Alex, described as a swan amongst ducks so eloquently. And you've got this a yin and yang, a, like such a, a well-balanced pairing between the two of them. And I think... He didn't just deserve his man the match. He deserved this goal Manumbi did for his his desire to get into the box. And obviously, he's he's only in the right position because he's battling and challenging in those areas. What did you two make of Malumbi? I think at the start of the season, I think you were more on the fence with Malumbi, weren't you? I think both of you were. Mm-hmm. I think I said that I think he'll be the most developed player because I said he's a poor man's Gallagher, that type of thing. And I think... He probably still is, you know, he's not on a level of Gallagher, but he's showing those type of things. And I think if we had the time, we could play the clip of me saying how much I love Jason Malumbi and I was he's going to be the player of the season. But we probably haven't got time to put that in the edit. But no, I think what I Jason... I would just choose not to do that anyway. So <laughs> I, I could have all day and I still wouldn't put it in. Well, there you go. But I just think playing against Jason Malumbi, it must be irritating. He's just nipping at you, isn't he? He's on a, a yappy dog. And I think for us, I think that's what we've needed for a long time. You know, you had the Jake Livermore before who didn't have legs, but he was like that, put a challenge in. He'd be hounding down players. But it was a bit more of a bulldozer. Malumbi's a bit more eloquent than that. He'll just nip at your heels. And he will break down play. And that's where we get the space for your Kushlu, for your Rogiches, for your Swift in the middle of the park to play out to the wings where we like to cross it in. I just think all the pieces of the jigsaw are actually fitting together. All it needed was a bit of belief in Malumbi, a bit of game time because he was only coming off the bench and, you know, making 20 minutes here, 15 minutes there. And it shows people, well, oh, Taylor Gardner Hitman should be in. But I think Malumbi's earned his place alongside your Kushlu, I think that's going to be a long-term midfield. And I think if they start gelling even more, I think it's going to be a good midfield going anywhere. I think you wouldn't want to play against Malumbi and your Kushlu. Yeah, I think Malumbi, as you say, Joe, I think he's probably the player that has most benefited from Carlos Corbran under his regime. And I mean, at 23 years old, he is a bit of a spring chicken, isn't he? And I think he's, he's really developed this intelligence on the pitch now, where he's paired with his industrialism. He's got this new kind of tactical sense and nous where he's able to you know not just deliver desire but also not just deliver the how but also the what so, so you know I think he's definitely one of our most improved players this season and like I say he's still young so I think there's a lot more to come from him you know what he's so Irish Is he, you know like Shane Long he wouldn't give up would he you know he's that so Irish with the footballers they just don't give up Dara O'Shea doesn't give up just that heart on the sleeve type of mentality isn't it I'm also starting to sense that we might have a new segment coming up in the next few weeks where Alex describes all of Albion's players as their relative bird or animal life form, where we had a swan amongst ducks, okay, Kushlu, and now a spring chicken alongside him in Jason Malumbi, a chicken and a swan. That's our midfield pairing. Um, We'll have to come back to the rest of the team, Alex, so you might need to get your brain juices flowing on that. Yeah, we'll have to negotiate um, salary and bonuses at a later date. Performance-based incentives will be uh, addressed between our respective agents. That's all good. I think a number of other players are worth talking about in this game. I particularly want to bring up Daryl DK. 
first things first, Rob on Instagram, he contacted us and said he was particularly impressed with DK's performance. And I totally agree with him. It's one of those season defining moments, I think, for DK. I think he's had good games. He's had good moments in games. But I think this is the first game. Obviously, it was his first full match from the start. And I was really impressed, to be honest. I think he was fatiguing towards the end, but he didn't stop running. I think one of the things that I particularly like about him and why I think it's it's wonderful having him and DeSante going at the same time is that they offer different things. There was something so satisfying about whenever the ball was launched long by Albion, it didn't just necessarily come straight back to us. It sticks with DK. He's really good at holding the ball up. He sometimes turns or brings the midfield into play, but he's enough of a problem for defenders that he can just hold them off or draw a foul or something will happen even if we go long. And that's a really such an advantage, especially away from home. I was listening to the Second Tier podcast today and they were talking about this game they said one of the things that they noticed about this game was even when DK doesn't win the header or the ball from a long goal kick that he causes defenders so much of a problem just because of his physicality that they don't just header the ball all the way back into our, our half that makes their job as defenders more difficult so even when they do win the ball it's still advantageous and that's why I think players like Jason Malumby are able to win more of these second balls now and I think some of the hold up play from DK and he got his reward from chasing down that ball a bit of a lost cause great ball over the top by Dara Shea but that must be such a satisfying goal to score as a striker when you close down the goalkeeper and you successfully steal in and nick it past them and obviously he just watches the ball into the net there but I was really impressed with Deacon I'm so pleased for him that he's got 90 minutes under his belt now after the, the like the torrid start to his Albion career yeah, I think he played really well. And as you mentioned, he fatigued after about 70 minutes. But I don't think we need to worry about that. Obviously, BTA is out Friday against Burnley. But as we've seen with Corbran, he swaps them. None of our strikers play 90 minutes because he likes to change it around. And I don't think a striker should play 90 minutes anymore. I think in our position, I think we want to change it up with the defence, you know, bring on something new. So I don't think we need to worry about that fitness because it's never going to happen. But apart from that, I do uh, totally agree with you. Very similar to Malumbi. He makes it awful for the opposition to play against. They're not easy players to play against. And I think in all, none of our players are very nice to play against. But especially down at Spine, Yukushlu, Malumbi, even going down to our defence, Dara O'Shea and Peters or Puyetas, whatever his name is. And then uh, D- <laughs> and then DK. I mean, that spine is not nice to play against for any opposition. We've got the right thing going. We may not be clinical all the time and DK doesn't score every game, but he puts his shift in and he sets up other people from doing that, you know, disrupting, holding the ball up. It's just, you know, he's it's a team. I'd love him to be like Drogba, but Drogba did the same thing, but Drogba was world-class. Hopefully DK does become like that because I can see that's a very similar player to what he is you know he holds off players people say like Romelu Lukaku I don't think he's like that I think he's more of a Didier Drogba type of muscle powerhouse yeah for me he's um, a real peacock of a player um the way he kind of attracts attention from the other team's defenders and um you know allows other players to get stuck in and contribute for me he's the is it the antithesis i said that right of carlin grant you know although carlin grant chipped in with quite a few goals he didn't really contribute 
well, I didn't feel that he contributed as much to the uh, first eleven. Whereas DK, he does contribute to the, the team, but he also, you know, nets goals as well. So I, I just think, you know, he's a brilliant asset for the club, and I, I hope he keeps injury free now and you know, getting that ninety minutes under his belt is great news for him. That's so good. Thank you, Alex. A, a peacock with a swan and a spring chicken. Now it's getting exciting this farmyard now. Um, I think, yeah, uh, just uh, one more thing. I think as exhausted as he might have been at towards the end of the, the match, I can't imagine how exhausting it is having to defend against him with him leaning on you and shoulder to shoulder with you at every opportunity. Last kind of little bit on the looting game, shout out for Matty Phillips. You wanted to do, Joe. Obviously a bit of a sad news. That he, it seems like he's been ruled out for the next four to six weeks. Picked up a knock uh, in the Chesterfield, the FA Cup game. Two devastating crosses that led to both goals. Obviously the kind of pick of the bunch being the one to the back post to Connor Townsend. Matty Phillips, another player that's come under a fair amount of criticism, seems to be fitter, stronger. His pace seems to be back a little bit. But realistically, if his end product is going to look like those Jed Wallace adjacent balls into the box, we could have devastating winger on our hands should he come back from this this knock. I totally agree. And I think he helps out Furlong as well because he does trap back. He does defend quite well, as we've seen in the past. He's played wing back for us sometimes, you know, if we need him. But I thought him and Furlong played really well against Luton. I think they opened up the width of the pitch. And you also saw Furlong going inside. And I don't think he ever did that. I think he was always on the outside. He always used to go back. And there wasn't that passing around the back. And I think Matty Phillips and Jed Wallace helped with that because they had the width. And it's not like us normally saying, what a great assist by Matty Phillips. It was like Jed Wallace. But maybe he's learning from the best. Maybe he's been uh, under in the school of Jed Wallace. He's learned some of these crosses because Lumming good last match, and it is sad that he's out. And I think Corbran is very devastated about it, but he'll be back. And Corbran's obviously got a lot of. He's his number one winger mm-hmm. at the moment. Yeah, be interesting to see who fills the hole there, Dean Garner or Carlin Grant. Yeah, or he could switch out Swift and Rogic, and maybe try and play, play them both. I, I don't know. It's it's going to be one of those, isn't it? I don't think he trusts Dean Garner, to be honest. I think Dean Garner is a bit weak and we lose possession too much for him to trust him. Yeah, I think what I really enjoy about Phillips is, is he really does have killer instinct, whether it's crossing the ball or scoring goals. He does seem to get involved in, in those stats. But I think it, it's it's evident that he really is a confidence player. You know, the team are doing well now and it's no surprise really that Phillips is also doing well. I think it's it's amazing really how you get players like that. I mean, it's obviously um, it's his biggest strength, but it's a bit of a weakness as well if you're not doing so well. But yeah, you know, I think I think he's looking really good this season. Yeah, and I mean, obviously his contribution is massive, but I think all of the players on Saturday deserve such a massive amount of plaudits because they have really like galvanised the fan base again. We spoke about it a few years ago. There were we, there wasn't like a love for the squad, but I love this set of players now. I think under Slavin Bilic, we had um, was the last time I could remember really falling in love with the the team as it was. And I think this team has done it. And I do lay that at the feet of Corbyn. I think he's successfully changed the opinion of, well, the general consensus about this team was at the start of the season, we're good on paper. Then it seemed to be that we've been sold a bit of a lie. But I think the reality is now he has delivered what we thought we had, which is at the bare minimum, a team that should finish in the playoffs and be contending for promotion. And I'm I'm so proud of the efforts on Sunday and I'm so proud, sorry, on Saturday 
and I'm so proud that they got the three points and those people in their way in there at Luton, as Johnny said, it's not a, a nice place to go as an away fan, but what a day out that must have been, how exciting it must have been driving home. And like you said, Joe, on the, the DVD, it feels like one of those moments that on a Netflix series, like if they were making a drama like The Last Dance about this season, they'd have the like dramatic music start when we're 2-0 down, but then the kind of Michael Jordan-inspired kind of rallying speech that sees us go on from this and just really press on. I do want to come on to other topics now. Like I said, we are a little bit pressed for time recording this, but as good as things are on the pitch, obviously off the pitch, it seems a little bit more chaotic. We haven't spoken about it an awful lot on this podcast, but obviously there's plenty of stories and opinions out there it's in the national media now a lot of people talking about what's going on at Albion obviously the action for Albion group are all over the place at the moment every podcast I turn on seems to have um, the guys from action for Albion speaking about it Kieran Maguire from the price of football is kind of talking about us more than any other club at the moment there's genuinely huge concerns about the off the field dealings with Guac and Lai the various loans ones that are outstanding, new ones that have been taken out. And the big questions being asked by Albion fans falling on deaf ears and a real brick wall when it comes to the club. And although Ron Gourley may not necessarily be the person making the decisions, he's at least the face of the club. And the promises of transparency and openness and communicativeness, if that's even a word, with the Albion fan base, and it not materialising had been a real kind of sticky point for most fans. And obviously there's protests every game, the game against Chesterfield, there was even further protests. There's been protests outside the Halfords Lane. But finally, Ron Gourlay, it appears, have sat down with Action for Albion. Haven't heard anything about that yet. But he also sat down with BBC WM and gave a lengthy interview We've all listened to it now, and if you haven't listened to it, it's out there on the BBC WM page and various other spots around the message boards where you can pick it up. Gourlay effectively answers questions from the WM journalist who kind of presses him about the loans, he presses him about lie and the situation basically behind the scenes at the Albion. We've spoken about it a little bit. In fact, let's hear what you guys, what did you make of the the interview with Ron Gourlay? For me, it looks like he's been pushed into this from Action for Albion. He's pushed into the, uh, you know, communicating with local press. He's having his sit down with Action for Albion. And I said it last week, he's a CEO and fair enough, he can't do anything. He hasn't got the purse strings, you know. He, he's waiting for Lie to make decisions, Ken to make decisions. But for me, if I was in a job where I can't do anything, all I could do is like the bare minimum. It doesn't seem like you really doing anything. I know he says he's doing all the day-to-day and he mentions around the academy and that he had to filter money into there because obviously all the things were going on with the academy and it sounds like a hard job but don't get me wrong he's not doing all that surely not doing all that so it just seemed to me like he was just passing the book to lie and i know lie is the one with the money and he says oh i'm asking for money all the time asking for money it just seems like i think you mentioned it in uh oh, what's that politician it was very very politician like there was no real answers even when he got to the end of our administration he didn't really give an answer i can't see that i can't see that in the future those type of things where it's not a definitive answer and for me yeah he might be doing the best job he can do with what he's got but 
He's getting paid good money. That's why he's not leaving. That's why he's... most people would not stay in a job if their boss wasn't allowing them to do stuff. Well, I wouldn't, definitely. I'd be looking for another job because, you know, you can't do things to your ability. And I bet he can do better things. But the whole interview, everyone's not blaming Gourlay. And it isn't Gourlay's fault. But be honest. Be real honest. And I don't think he was honest to the full truth there. Yeah, I mean, for me, at the end of the day, they're all just words. And I've got the sense that it was all just lip service. And until we actually start seeing some action for Albion and like loans being repaid, perhaps Lay showing more intent to sell the club or, you know, something more tangible. I didn't really learn anything new. You know, fair enough for him to come or go on radio and start communicating with the fans. But he should have been doing this after the summer transfer window, after all that nightmare we had on transfer deadline day before this week. For me, it's not good enough still. And I think, you know, communication needs to be better to the fans. I don't think it's fair on them. I think it was interesting that when he was asked questions, he shifted and evaded what the actual content of the question demanded he answered. And I think that's why I made the comment on our little WhatsApp group that it felt like you were listening to a politician at Prime Minister's question time. There's the question that's asked and then there's an answer that's given, but the two don't pair up particularly well. Initially, he started talking about the success of bringing in Corbyn and how he'd worked really hard to identify the right man and how this had been led to great success on the pitch. But in that, that there might be some truth in the fact that he did go through this process of identified Corbyn. That is a success in of itself, but it's to cover a mistake that he made in initially hiring Steve Bruce without any due process, without any real insight into his kind of the way about he went about in hiring. Steve Bruce and and most people knowing at the time that it was a little bit of a head scratcher and yet he hasn't acknowledged the failures but he's very very quick to highlight the areas of success and my issue is is that at the moment if you were to weigh up on a scale there's much more failures at the club than there are successes and realistically Carlos Corbin is he's saving them a lot of heat at the moment by being so successful on the pitch I think if we'd stayed where we were or just mildly improved, I think the protests would have significantly ramped up. Obviously, there's ugly scenes at Everton this weekend, and I'm not saying it would have kind of gone to that extent. But I do think there'd be a noticeable uptick in the in the response to the protest. I thought listening to him, I think you said this right, Alex, that there's a very little accountability. He seems keen to make everyone think he's a good guy in this situation somehow that he's trying his best for the club he's fallen in love with this club that he really does have the best interests of this club at heart and I don't doubt that there's truth to that I think Johnny Drury said it right nobody comes into a situation wanting it to fail I think as a CEO it it benefits for him for Albion to succeed I just think that there are decisions that he's been a part of and decisions made before his time, but definitely decisions that he's been a part of that have caused Albion to be in a more detrimental situation. Ultimately, all that fans ask is that we're being told what's going on at our club, and he's partly responsible for that not being the case as well. You know what's interesting? What CEO would come out and basically said, oh, he's been asking Lye to pay this money back, and it wasn't very, very positive again uh, about Lye, was it? It wasn't negative, but it wasn't positive he obviously knows that liar's got no interest so he ain't gonna listen to this so he's come out and said that and it's just it really shows you that lie is not invested in this club at all 
he just wants to either get his money out or just drag us down and just ignore us. And also, one surprising thing, when I look at businessmen, I always think they're going to be from London. These Scottish, wasn't they? Which was yeah, surprising. Somewhere, somewhere, yeah. Yeah, I think so. the thing that was interesting that's come out, and when you listen to various other podcasts, it seems to be certainly true, especially like Kieran Maguire and various other people like this, that he was pressed about this idea that Guac and Light actually isn't the controlling shareholder and that he doesn't actually own a the great deal percentage of West Bromwich Albion. And he kind of pushed push back on that, saying there's directors and owners tests that they had to go through with the Premier League, et cetera, et cetera. I think what people are referencing is that in terms of the company that bought West Bromwich Albion, Guac and Lai is the, the head of that, but he actually is controlling other people's money. So he answers to other people in China about his investment in West Bromwich Albion. And I wonder what those people must be thinking back in China. Like, it's clear he's not getting his money back, and it's clear that he's going to make a big loss on West Bromwich Albion. And ultimately, I think that one of the worst things that could happen to West Brom is if we go in, into administration, he isn't getting his money back at all. Um, and it might be the quickest way for Albion to find a new owner is for kind of almost the unthinkable to happen. Nobody wants it, but it might be the way to clear the decks. Any like kind of comments on this? Obviously, it's a developing story and there's not all of it's out there and the smarter minds than us that still can't unravel exactly how this is going to unfold at West Brom. I think the, the thing that we all want really is Guac and Lai just to pack his bags and go. Yeah, I think... You know, you mentioned, I think Liquider mentioned, he's not just the sole person, he's the head, the front, the hedge fund, that type of thing. And Ron Gourlay said, oh no, he is the man who owns it. But what Kieran Maguire said is back when Lai bought the club, the checks weren't as stringent as they are now. And you could get, a lot of it was self-certified. So it probably is true. There probably is loads of people involved in the Albion and he is just the front of it. But I wouldn't like to be in his position if there's loads of people. There's uh, apparently, according to Liquidator, there's part government funding in it there's loads of different like areas of china that fund it so i would not want to be in charge of that and selling for half the money at least you know that type of money which he's not gonna he's not gonna get the amount of money even if we went up to the premiership and finished above relegation he's not going to get that money again it's just not happening because was it southampton who was sold quite recently for was it 120 million and to be fair to them they've got Better, better assets, as in players, than us. They've got, you know, all the youngsters that come through all the time who are pretty good. He's just not going to get it, is he? And, no, I uh, think it's it's dreamland, that kind of money nowadays. I think Jeremy Peace has well and truly sold him a used car. A lot of the blame that kind of is apportioned to Guac and Lai, I think you can draw back to Jeremy Peace, who robbed the man blind. And at that point, he, he parted with enough cash to feel like he couldn't possibly lose anymore. And obviously, there's some fairly sinister things coming out about some of the loans that Jeremy Peace took out in the past. And there's even allegations as far as there might be a level of criminality involved in the way in which they were taken out. Obviously, I, we don't know enough about them and their only allegations at these, this point anyway. But it, it, there's no chance, like you said, Albion could go up and be a major, major player in the Premier League for three or four years. And I can't see someone coming in for 200 million when you could buy a probably a more successful club with bigger stadium, bigger training facility, better 
squad for a similar price to what he would be demanding. I think at the very least, he's looking to limit his losses to as much as possible. And that's about as good as it's going to get. Let's move off that and let's come back to some on the field fun. We progressed in the FA Cup. We're going to be facing Bristol City away and Chesterfield came to the Hawthorns last night and it was a fairly comfortable game by all accounts. Difficult to watch this one unless you were there. Most of us were relying on Twitter and refreshing um, Twitter feeds and whatnot to find out what was going on. But 4-0, John Swift, Rogic, Livermore and Jova Malcolm scoring on his debut. His first goal for the senior squad. Yeah, pretty comfortable. Haven't got too much to say about this other than it was a a bit of an expected result. And it was really nice to see some of the youngsters get a run out and, and perform. Yeah, well, I listened to it on my local radio station, uh, BBC Sheffield. They were covering it. It was very biased. Mainly the coverage was about, was it Paul Cook or whatever his name is, their manager, and you could hear him from the gantry. So didn't find out much about the Albion players. You never really seemed that the Albion players were touching the ball. But listening to fans on Twitter who'd been to the game, it seemed like we were quite dominant. And I think there was a bit of bias on the radio, on BBC. But yeah, I've heard good stories about Jamie Andrews playing really well. I've heard good stories about, you know, Swift being the centre of tension, playing really well. His goal was fantastic mm. against any team, any goalkeeper. That's going in because yeah. the defender's covering the goalkeeper, isn't he? So we should have done it in the first leg, but we've done it this time. Professional. Yeah, it was a professional finishing of a, a non-league team. And fair play to them. They brought a lot of fans. And hopefully they had a good away day, even though they lost 4-0. That's it, really. You can't really say much about it, can you? Uh, just uh, if we win the next five games, we win the trophy. I couldn't believe that. So with, that was the third round and there's five rounds, then the quarters, semis and the final. I didn't realise it was such a journey. I thought we'd already progressed. I thought we'd be into the quarters now, but there you go. That's all right. We get a, we get a bye for just stripping Chesterfield of their dignity. Yeah, I think it's encouraging that John Swift and Rogic and players like this seem to ooze real quality. And, and I think it is. It does show the standard of the first team in many ways that these bit part players that come in and do a job against the non-league side, but that the real stars are the players that are ultimately in the first team. And it does show that there is still that gap, even though people like Jovan Malcolm and Reyes Cleary and Jamie Andrews, perhaps to a lesser extent, are exciting prospects for the future. But you can see there's a little bit of a, a gap between where the first team are and where these the under 23s are and whatnot but Bristol City away we said it last week it's not a glamour FA Cup tie but it's definitely a winnable FA Cup tie and I think winning cup games league games whatever games it's good for the harmony of the squad and morale must be so high at the training it definitely feels like one of those times at the club where it must be a joy going to training every day like the players actually must be looking forward to it it must be it doesn't feel like work at the moment when everything that we do seems to be we've got the Midas touch we, everything we do to, turns to gold I bet Button is living on cloud nine clean sheet yeah. love me now it's, yeah. it's, his drive back to Brighton is sweet oh wait no he moved up oh yeah that's <laughs> yeah does he get the ball for that? Because that is a once in a lifetime for Button. They've named yeah. the Halfers Lane after him. <laughs> the Button Factory. Livermore managed to get a goal as well, which I had to uh, pinch myself. 
you know what? It was such a Jake Livermore finish as well. Obviously, he controls it on the thigh, and there's a certain amount of skill there. But gosh, he just hammers it after that, doesn't he? It's like a John Smith's finish. He did, the goalkeeper could have stood in the way, and it would have caught in the chest and gone into the goal with it. I don't think it was skill. I think it was the shot at him. And because he's so big, it just hit him. He was like, like a tank. An like, impact turn yeah. 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 Fair play to him. At least he's got a goal. You know, he knows he's not first team anymore. But he's taking his chances. That's what we need. We need them all with confidence. If they need to come in, if that gives him confidence and he plays a good game, if he needs to come in off the bench or someone gets injured, all the best. Yeah, it's a bit naughty of us to disrespect him, really, isn't it? After he scored a goal and, you know, he seems to have played quite well because he didn't get subbed off. Yeah, I think the thing with Livermore is he was a bit of a point where we all got frustrated, wasn't he? Because he seemed to epitomise so much of what was going wrong on the field at the time. I think the reality of it is, Johnny Drury said it last week on the podcast, well, he's been a great club servant, really. He's almost been the face of the club in many respects for the last few years. And ultimately, he isn't the player he was and he isn't going to get his contract renewed. And he could, he's got a lot of like relational currency in that dressing room. He could upset the apple cart a little bit, I imagine, if he started throwing his toys out, but he hasn't done that. Plenty of players would do that up and down the leagues and he hasn't. So you've got to take your hat off to him. He's come on, he's done a job against the non-league opposition. It isn't his heyday anymore, but he's still done a job. So a very professional job at that. So well done, Jay Clivermore. I think Jake Livermore and Button owe us. They should allow us to do this because of some of their mistakes in the past. <laughs> the heartache they've caused. Yep. As Johnny Drury said last week, you know, we're being honest, we're being fair. It's not as if they, they haven't done what we're saying. Alex has now pulled up his hoodie and I can only describe that he looks like a Jedi now and he's sat in a darkened room with a lamp behind him. He literally looks like he's levitating a lightsaber at his side. Um, which is quite dramatic. Yeah, the force is with us tonight. Amen. Amen. Um, last little bit of kind of fun news that has uh, emerged today. I think the reality is that this is all fake news and there's no truth to it at all. But this morning it, it kind of emerged on Twitter that Al Halal had cancelled Pereira's contract. They, they terminated, mutually terminated. And obviously people start to get excited. Twitter gets hold of it. The rumour mill gets up firing well and truly. And all of a sudden it's about getting Mateus on the plane over to Birmingham, signing a contract and him being part of this wonderful season. And you know what? What a fairy tale story that would be. Fairy tale ending. Yukushlu and Pereira, Corbin, this kind of magical run back to the premiership. I mean, we we were tweet, we were chatting about it on our WhatsApp group and we were all getting excited and I posted come home at Mateus Pereira on with dream big on Instagram and we were all excited about it the balloon's been punctured a little bit since then it turns out that it was one fake news and then Lewis Cox reported from the Express and Star that because of post-Brexit employment law or whatever that is I don't even know if you can sign a player from Saudi Arabia in January because of the way in which they enter the country or whatever but all that being said how excited were you for those that hour and a half? <laughs> I was very excited, especially Matty Phillips getting injured. It would have been just the, 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 you know, like upgrade by, you know, like on FIFA, Matty Phillips is just a silver. This is getting your team of the year card, you know, and <laughs> replacing it with some silver card on FIFA or a bronze card. And yeah, I those 16 year olds listening to the podcast right now, Joe's just hit the, the benchmark for our demographic there. Yep. And, but, Pereira came out on his own Twitter 
and said it was fake news. So he shattered us. I don't think he'll be there that long, though, to be fair. I don't think it's going down very well. Maybe we have to wait till the new season when we're getting promoted. We can buy him back for the Premiership. Yeah, my eyes lit up when uh, Joe messaged the group. You know, I was a bit, I was disappointed when I found out, you know, it was fake news, but gave me the opportunity to have a look at the, uh, the replies to the to Pereira's tweet of, of fake news. So I've got a few Al-Hilab tweets if, if you're interested. So in June last year, Pereira tweeted, I'll see you next season. Somebody's replied to that. Do you remember, my dear, this tweet? I have not forgotten it since that time. I wait for your return. So that's a bit kind of a bit ominous. Somebody responding to uh, Pereira's tweet, fake news. They've put, how angry are you? As if like winding him up, really trying to stoke his fire. Like really trying to get into the... Uh, that is, that's like a psychological the... warfare one, that is. Yeah, it's like, how angry are you? Yeah, it's <laughs> proper uh, a dangerous question. And then finally, one of the, their fans put, uh, someone who differs on his capabilities needs employment and he's only bold in football so that's very very like mystical that one's like cryptic that sounds like is that a haiku is that the type of poem what is it it sounds like something that's come from the dalai lama (laughs) it sounds Uh, like someone's applying competencies to a job that's what it sounds like it sounds like someone you know like technical town yeah, it's really uh, philosophical. I mean, you have to read over it a few times to really get the gist of it. So, someone who differs on his capabilities needs employment. So, does that mean that somebody who's a jack of all trades needs needs employment, whereas somebody who's a master of something doesn't need employment? And he's only bold. In I, I can't go down this rabbit hole. I'm scared I won't come back. Honestly, I, I got stuck. I got stuck on this. I hit a bit of a brick wall with it. But, but while then... you're sat in the dark, it's like some sort of recovery, like sensory deprivation now. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm trying to calm down. But then uh, somebody replied to that tweet. So just when you think it couldn't get any better, <laughs> somebody put, you mean we disagree that there is no ball in his head? Right. <laughs> Right. Cool. So again, that was quite cryptic. So I'm kind of thinking now: is there some kind of dark, like, group of people? Is is this some sort of cult? You know, where they they talk in some kind of a weird tongue? You know, a strange language where only they can understand it. Yeah. But again, so I mean, what does he mean by that? I just love that. I love the end. Right. <laughs> like we can all agree on this much, at least. Like, you mean we disagree that there is no ball in his head? Come on. We all know that much. <laughs> I am. I mean, one of the things that we can thank Pereira for in leaving Albion, as much pain as it caused us, is that it welcomed us into this world of Al-Halal Twitter and the joy that lies therein. So, yeah, if you're ever kind of feeling like you're, you want to unlock an extra dimension in your brain, if you ever feel like you want to have a trip on some sort of like mind expanding hallucinationary experience, go on Al Halal's Twitter and look at their responses and have your, have like, like, you know, your red pill or blue pill moment in the matrix. Um, you can have that via their Twitter account. It's fun. Right, I'm going to rattle off the news um, as Alex has written it down in date form, which is exciting. Asante has got one more game left on his band, so he's going to miss the Burnley game, which does feel a little bit of bad timing, but I suppose it can't be helped. Again, we spoke about that at length last week. Josh Griffiths has come back to the club. 
bit of a mixed review according to Portsmouth fans. Some people seem to be delighted that he's come back. He seemed pretty good in their game in the FA Cup that was televised. Seemed to make some good saves and look a little bit of a goalkeeper who's got quite a lot of command of his area. Um, Alex Palmer and Cornbrun have were both nominated for Manager and Player of the Month. I don't think either of them won it. Rodjick was up for December Goal of the Month, which was exciting. Matt Richards, Ronnie Hollingshead and Alex Williams have all signed professional contracts until the summer of 2025. So congratulations to all of them. Castro's loan at Notts County finished, but he's been re-loaned out to Gateshead. And Albion's women's team won 5-0 against Leafield Athletic. Some of the goals again. They always post them on Instagram. And I recommend that if you're not following the Albion's women team, you do go and follow them. Some really, there's some more scrappy goals this week, but you've got to be in the position to score. And um, they really did punish their opposition for mistakes in defence. So congratulations to the women. And then Zach Ashworth, son and sire of Dan Ashworth, the kind of much beloved Albion technical director or whatever from a decade or so ago. He's gone out on to Burton Albion on loan, which leads us now just to a very quick conversation about our upcoming match against top of the table Burnley. It's really interesting when you look at the table at the moment, how far Sheffield United and Burnley both are. Vincent Company doing a fantastic job at Burnley. It's not just that they're picking up victories. They are playing really, really good to watch football. It's attacking. It's exciting. They're creating chances from all over the pitch. I'm particularly impressed with their wingers on either side, really dynamic players. And then they've obviously got a lot of threat in the middle of the park with players that can take the ball, possess the ball, control it and distribute. And I think they're a team that you can see why they're winning a lot of matches. I think them and Sheffield United, their form record since Corbyn's come in is still as good as Albion I think if not better I think Sheffield United is actually slightly better than ours which is remarkable it shows you how good these two teams are at the top of the table and how it's going to take a huge swing in fortunes for anyone to catch them at all even though it might be possible and in the past obviously we've caught up a similar points difference on Wolves this is going to be a tough game, whichever way you, you want to dress it up. Top of the table, away, Friday night, cold weather, big fan base, good home support. Asante's out. There's a lot of things that you could think that take a draw would be good. But at the moment, I still fancy us against anyone. I really do think that the way we're playing, we can go to Burnley and cause them problems. I think at home... With Steve Bruce as our manager, that was um, the last, the injury time Thomas Sante goal where he kind of lit our hearts on fire for him. And I think I think we can go to Burnley, be hard to beat, but st- steal a victory. I'm going to say Albion win this one 1-0. I think Burnley and Sheffield Knight have had it easy this year. I think the championship's been really poor, and especially with us, Middlesbrough, the likes of Watford not playing to their potential has helped them have this huge gap to third in the league. And I think those teams are coming into their own now, especially us and Middlesbrough, we're coming into our own. And Burnley and Sheffield United, even though they've got the points on the board already, and it's going to be very unlikely to catch them up. I think they're probably themselves a bit. I think we'll go there and win. We do another 3-2. I think DK gets a brace and I think Connor Townsend gets uh, another one. I just think we've got too much confidence in us and Burnley are winning and yeah that does cause confidence but they're just winning against poor teams. They're not coming up against the tough teams and the tough teams have come to their own now so I think they're going to have a tough ass to go and beat us so I think we will beat them. 
I'd take a draw, take a nil-nil, but I hope we don't play defensively. But I think it'll be a really tough game. Like I think Vincent Company has gone in there and knows another intelligent manager. You know, knows how to play football properly. You know, they've got ex Premier League players. You know, ex Sean Dyche players. So I think they'll be like really hard to beat. So I'd take a draw. You know, but I hope we win. Very, very good. Well, it's been a bit of a speed run of an episode of the Hawthorne Spike Club. I hope you've kept up. I hope you've enjoyed it still. And hopefully we can come back next week and, and report on a great result. But if what a difference a few months makes. It's a real feel-good feeling to be watching the Albion, even though off-the-field stuff might be a little bit sad and traumatic. It's a real joy to watch the Albion at the moment. So we're very, very pleased about that here at the Hawthorne Spike Club. But... Landing it very smoothly and nicely there. All that remains for me to say is a big thank you to you, Alex Collins. Cheers. Big thank you to you, Joseph Clay. Cheers. Thank you for listening this week, and we will see you next week. Sweet dreams.